When it comes to investing, retirement, and legacy planning, the decisions you make today can greatly impact the quality of life for both you and your loved ones tomorrow. What you need is straight, unbiased information on the most important issues you'll face when planning for your financial future. Good news. You found the Growing Your Wealth radio show with Brian Evans. Brian is the founder of Madrona Financial Services, and with his background as a CPA, he brings a unique perspective to the investment and financial planning world. So get ready for an hour full of the most comprehensive financial information on the radio. Welcome to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. Thank you so much, and welcome to Growing Your Wealth, a radio show that gives you the straight talk and honest answers you need to invest better, live better, retire better, and give better. My name is Jeff Shade, and as always, I'm just here to ask the questions. But the words of wisdom and solid advice come from the expert Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs. How are you doing today, Brian? Doing great. Thanks, Jeff. Always glad to hear that, Brian. I hope our listeners are doing well today, too. Always good to be with you here on the radio. On today's show, Brian, we've got four very important topics. We're going to be talking about the gain on the sale of a residential or second home. Also, the importance of a CPA and a registered investment advisor. Getting together and reviewing your tax return, we'll talk about income distribution strategy, what we call level-loading tax brackets and why that's so important, and also Roth conversions. So let's start off, Brian, with something that a lot of people are concerned about today with the rising prices that people are getting for homes, and that is the gain on a sale of a residence or a second home. Yeah, I want to do a little history on that. It used to be that you could exclude, what, $125,000 of gain once in your lifetime. But if you sold a house, as long as you bought a replacement house within a certain time period, you didn't have to pay any tax at all, regardless of how much the gain was. Now, a lot of people still think that. I still get asked all the time, well, how, how much time do I have to buy a new house if I sold my house to get out of the gain? I'm like, well... Actually, that law went away, and a lot of times they're surprised to hear that. Well, when did that law change? I said, well, with the Tax Reform Act of 1986, when Ronald Reagan was president, actually. It's been a long time since that one went away. That one went away permanently and was replaced. It was replaced by something that pretty much took care of everybody not paying tax on the gain on the sale of their principal residence. So the rule changed to where a married couple could sell their residence for $500,000 gain up to and not pay any tax, a single person, $250,000. So that was great for years and years and years because houses were hundred grand back then. No one had a $500,000 gain, hardly at all. And so those days are over now. Now a lot of people have a $500,000 gain. So now I wanted to reintroduce the topic because it's pertinent once again. Okay, so we're going to talk about vacation homes. We're going to be talking about your principal residence and investment property. Let's first off go back here to the basics, to the beginning that you just talked about that a little bit, but it's the taxation on the sale of your principal residence. What is it today? So now it's, yeah, like I mentioned, it's 500000 for a married couple. And so how you compute that gain, I paid 100000 for a house. I sold it for a million. I guess I pay tax on 900000 Like, no, 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 no. Here's how it works. So you sell it for a million, and let's say your closing costs are a hundred grand. So now you your net sales price is nine hundred thousand, mm-hmm. and you have a mortgage of three hundred thousand. People think, well, does that factor in? No, it does not. It doesn't matter whether you owe money or don't. That's not part of the gain calculation. So we're still at nine hundred thousand. You paid a hundred. Well, did you make improvements to it? Well, yeah, I, I put on a new roof. I put in a driveway, and I remodeled once. I added a room. Well, how much did that cost? Well, three hundred thousand. Okay, so now you take your original price of one hundred, you add the three hundred to make the cost basis four hundred thousand. You sold your house for a net 
sales price of 900K, so your gain is 500K. In that example, you didn't have any gain. But let's say you didn't do any improvements. It's 100,000 you paid, your net sales price was 900,000. You have an $800,000 gain. You're married, 500 is excluded. That leaves 300,000 taxable as a capital gain. So you'll pay capital gains tax on that, regardless of whether you buy another house or not. So if I take my principal residence and I decide to rent that out and buy another principal residence, now that principal residence has turned into an investment property. Is there a minimum amount of time that it has to be a principal residence before I can get out of paying taxes? Great question. And that's where the term principal comes in. You cannot have two principals. There is one principal. It's, it's the residence. And so that's the one you live in. And so if you have a principal residence that you have lived in at least two of the last five years as your principal residence, and you have not taken advantage of the tax-free gain in the last two years, you can sell it and take the $500,000 or $250,000 exclusion. Now, if you, this is a problem with a lot of people uh, may make this mistake. They say, well, I'm going to buy another house, keep the old house, and I'm going to rent it out for a while, and then I'm going to sell it. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, uh, how long are you going to rent it out for? Three years. Okay, well, as soon as you've rented it out for three years and a day, You cannot physically have lived in it as your principal residence two years out of the last five. You've blown that. It is no longer a principal residence eligible for the exclusion of gain. So be very careful. If you have a sizable gain on your house and you want to turn it into a rental, if you don't sell it in the first three years, you're not going to be able to take advantage of the exclusion of gain under the principal residence rules. Brian, many people listening to the program may have a principal residence here, but as they got older, they got another home. And let's say that that home's in Arizona or, you know, Nevada or Hawaii or someplace like that, and they go and they live there for six months out of the year. How do you determine if it's equal, which is going to be the principal residence? Yeah, it's whichever one you lived in 183 days, because <laughs> okay. that's more than half the year. And so most of the time, though, you know, you might say, all right, we're going to live in Arizona four months, say, or five months. So we know that the principal residence might be up here. And then you decide to sell your Arizona house, and it's gone up in value. You go, okay, can I take advantage of this rule? Well, no, it's not your principal residence. Well, can I do a 1031 exchange like I I did on my rental house? No, it's not an investment property. Why not? I bought it for investment purposes. I just happened to live there five months. Well, if you live there more than 14 days a year, it's personal use. And it's in this no man's land of taxation. So you have advantages, potential advantages to selling your principal residence with the exclusion of gain. You have a potential advantage of selling a rental house using a 1031 exchange. But there is really nothing in the, in the laws for somebody that has a vacation home that they live in more than 14 days. So you might say, well, I don't want to pay the tax. What can I do? Well, you can move into it for two years and then sell it. Or you can rent it out all year and not stay in there for 14 days, turn it into a rental house, and do a Section 1031 exchange where you exchange it for another property or into a Delaware statutory trust. Let's talk about vacation homes. A lot of people may have bought, let's say, a lake cabin or something like that many years ago. And now it is turned into quite the valuable piece of property. How is that going to be taxed if I sell my vacation home that I paid maybe $100,000 for 20 years ago and it's worth $750,000 today? 
Well, you got a six hundred fifty thousand dollar capital gain. Sounds like to me. So you're going to get you're going to pay a lot of tax. <laughs> so and again, you can't do a ten thirty one exchange. You can't claim the five hundred thousand dollar exclusion. So that's no man's land. A lot of people just keep those houses till the day they die and get out of the tax completely, utilizing a step up in basis and leave the house to their heirs. Uh, a lot of people like the idea of leaving a vacation house to their heirs, but they don't realize that if they leave it to their heirs, there, there could be some real problems going forward on that. That's why you might want to have put it into trust and then have a proper trustee that's actually going to keep it. If you uh, have a trust with a large bank, they're probably going to sell the house even if you wanted to keep it. But if you have the right trustee, you, you'd be able to keep it in the family for generations. That was a question that came to mind. If I am gifted a house or it's passed on from my parents to myself, my family, and I'm planning on passing it along to my children, how is that taxed? Well, then you would have got a step up in basis when you inherited the house. You, in this example, let's say it was worth seven hundred fifty thousand. They paid a hundred grand for it. They pass away, leave it to you. Your new cost basis is seven hundred fifty thousand. So, if you sold it, there wouldn't be any gain. If you want to keep it, then you can. You and you pass it on to your your kids someday. But like I said, you know, you might have more than one kid. You might have some other issues. I would suggest maybe putting it into a trust mm-hmm. that's managed and putting some money into that trust to cover maintenance, repairs, property taxes, and insurance, because often, you know, you got three people that now own the house, and one of them moved away and doesn't really want it anymore, and says, I'm not going to go there. I don't want to pay property tax insurance so that my brother can go there every other weekend. You know, you can have a problem there. So there are ways to have a legacy asset utilizing trusts and doing it smartly if that's what you want. And so that's one of the options. And you might have a buyout agreement within there based on some formula where somebody could say, I don't want to be part of this house. You guys have to buy me out or we'll sell it. You're listening to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans of Madrona Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs. And we're talking about the gain on a sale of a residence or a second home. Let's talk about investment property, Brian. That is something that a lot of people in this region, the Puget Sound, have. They bought this thing, you know, many years ago, and it's maybe worth 10 times what it used to be worth. And now they're getting ready to sell that. Of course, there's going to be some taxation on that. How can we mitigate the taxes on the sale of an investment property? Yeah, if it's truly a rental, then you have a Section 1031 exchange where you sell the house and prior to closing, you've engaged the services of a qualified intermediary. That's an actual position an exchange facilitator. You have to hire them before it closes. If you've done so, money closing goes to that agent or trustee, and then you have 45 days to identify a replacement property. So you can buy another property for at least as much as what you sold it for. Uh, let's say in this case you paid hundred grand; it's worth a million. You don't want to pay tax on a $900,000 gain. So you go out and find a $800,000 house. Okay, well, you didn't replace the million. You you are 200,000 short, so you'd have 200,000 capital gain. Or you can go out and buy a $1.1 million house, and then you did replace it. You don't have any capital gain. Or you might be, a, you're probably sold the house for a reason. You don't want to own rentals anymore. And in that case, uh, that's where the very popular, wildly popular anymore, Delaware Statutory yeah. Trust, the DST, comes into effect. You can sell your rental property. The money goes to the qualified intermediary. It's then put with investments in various properties, whether apartment buildings, self-storage, industrial parks, whatever the case may be, that are owned as a Delaware Statutory Trust. So you diversify your investments. You put all the money in there. You pay no income tax on the sale of your investment property, even though most of it's gain. 
you defer that or eliminate it with step-up in basis someday, and then you start getting rent checks the month after you invest. So, Brian, if I'm hearing you correctly, with a Delaware statutory trust, you're not necessarily getting out of real estate. It's just you're getting out of the daily chores of managing that real estate. Yeah, you're retiring from being a landlord, which isn't a bad thing because you're putting in the money with some of the largest, most experienced real estate companies in the world. They know how to procure and find properties to buy. They know how to get the best financing. They have the best crews to fix them up. They have the best managers, the best rental rules, everything. They take care of all that stuff on your behalf. And so that's that's why I love that as an investment class because not only the tax savings, but gee, who's a better landlord? A 75-year-old you right. who likes to go to Arizona you know, four months a year or uh, one of the biggest real estate companies in the world. So is a Delaware statutory trust an indefinite investment? What I mean by that is do you just own these things forever and ever until you decide to sell them? How do you get out of a Delaware statutory trust? Before 10 years is up, they will be selling the property, and then you just do another exchange at okay. that time. And so that's how you get out. And most people will exchange for the rest of their life because they don't want to pay the tax. Now, in the state of Washington, if you exchange and your spouse passed away, we're in a community property state, you get a step up in basis. You don't have to do any more 1031 exchanges if you don't want to. A lot of people do want to because they like the fact that I own diversified real estate managed by someone else. I get monthly rent checks and my share of the appreciation of the property. That sounds like a pretty good thing. And most people like that. So a lot of people like this investment class. If I pass away and I own a Delaware statutory trust, does the DST end with me or can that be passed on to heirs? Oh, it can be passed on to heirs. And so you'll have a new owner, the heirs. They'll get the step up in basis. So when that thing comes due and they sell it, it might be three years after your passing. That's when your heirs would get the money. And a lot of people go, what, they can't have the money right away? No, these are not liquid. Well, isn't that a problem? Well, no, not really. I would think that most people want their heirs to inherit money over time, not all at once. And so it's actually an advantage, I think, for most people. So the biggest disadvantage to a Delaware statutory trust is what? Liquidity. You don't have access to cash once you've put it into that. You can't force a sale. So liquidity would be a negative. Sometimes people think they're not ready to retire from being a landlord. They think, I can make lots of money buying real estate in Puget Sound. Well, then keep doing it. And if you're young, yeah, keep doing it. You know, Do a value add on, on real estate of your own. Don't do it passively. And the other disadvantage might be someone that doesn't know what else to do with their time. Right. And so they, they just want to be a landlord. And again, the positive attributes of a DST is tax mitigation. You can kick that tax can down the road. Also, you're still in real estate, but you're not actively managing that real estate. So a lot of advantages to a Delaware statutory trust and the 1031 exchange. If you want to know more about this particular topic, we do have a website. It is madrona1031.com. madrona1031.com. If you're an active landlord, you're looking to become a passive landlord, highly encourage you to check out that website. Once again, if you'd like a complimentary, no-cost, no-obligation financial plan, you have at least $500,000 to invest, and you're looking to hire a new financial advisor, highly encourage you to call the folks here at Madrona Financial, 844-MADRONA, to request your complimentary financial plan. You can also do it by emailing us from the website, which is madronafinancial.com. You're listening to Growing Your Wealth. We'll take a quick break. Be right back with more of our show after this. Tired of getting only half the story? We've got you covered with the most comprehensive financial information on the radio. You're listening to Growing Your Wealth with your host, Brian Evans. Now, here's Brian. 
Welcome back to the show. I'm Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs. In this segment, we're going to be talking about the importance of having a CPA work with your RIA in reviewing of your tax return along with your investments. And Brian, you know, picking a good stock or fund is different than working out a financial plan. Stockbrokers and insurance agents can help you select a product. But if you don't integrate the product with a plan, you may be missing out on some income tax, federal and estate tax, and trust planning opportunities. So why is it so important to have your CPA and your registered investment advisor take a look at your tax return? Because your biggest expense of your lifetime is your taxes. For one thing, every investment decision has a tax ramification, and virtually no financial advisors or insurance people that are putting you in the product are allowed by law to give you tax advice. Then you go to your CPA and you ask them for investment advice, and they are not allowed by law to give you any investment advice. Mm -hmm. So we have two of the most important things in your life, your investments and financial plan and your income taxes, and the people that know something about them aren't allowed to talk about the other topic, and they need to work together. So uh, if we want the right hand to know what the left hand's doing throughout our day or in our planning, then it's imperative that they somehow get together. Is it true that a CPA really can only look at what you've done in the past? They have no ability to plan for the future, but the registered investment advisor doesn't look at the past, but they're looking ahead. So you got one that's looking at the past. You've got one looking forward. Well, there is, there is that aspect. I mean, most CPAs are very focused on the past. That's, that's, they're, they're grilled that way. I mean, you know, when I was doing CPA work every year, I was not thinking about the year I'm in. I was thinking about last year because I was doing last year's tax return for everybody over and over and over. I'm, you know, what year is it, Brian? Well, I always thought it was last year. <laughs> that's, right. that's all I'm in. I'm, that's all the forms say last year. I, I, I was really bad knowing what, what year it was when somebody would ask. So we're focused on that. And they, well, what can I do to save on taxes? And well, nothing. It was last year. You can't do anything. You can't go backwards very often, maybe an IRA contribution by April 15th or something small, but nothing big. And then they'd ask, well, what do you think about this investment? And I said, well, I, I can't comment on it by law. I'm not allowed to. I'm not licensed. So, you know, this, this is the reason I became an investment advisor. I was a partner of a CPA firm and was very frustrated that I was seeing decisions being made without proper information by people. They were talking to their stockbroker or their insurance people and getting sold product. But it was the wrong thing to do. They were selling things to generate cash. It was the wrong way to do it. They were paying all kinds of tax, and it was, it was driving me nuts. So I decided to uh, get licensed so I could talk about everything, and that is what created Madrona Financial. So, Brian, is it common, people listening to this program, that they've got a CPA, they've got an investment advisor, but they're two different people? Is it uncommon to find a firm where you have both of those disciplines in the same office or even in the same brain? It's almost unheard of that you would have both of those in the same office. They don't talk to each other, pretty much guarantee that. I mean, I'm a partner of a CPA firm year after year, and I'm like the Maytag repairman waiting for a stockbroker to call me about one of our mutual clients and ask me a tax question. It never happened. Literally, never. I never got a call from a stockbroker. People think, well, surely the stockbroker's checking in with my CPA before they make a bunch of moves, right? No, they don't do that. They often don't even ask for a copy of your tax return. Even if they had it, they don't know how to properly analyze it because that's not what they do for a living. So I would say it's very rare to integrate the two. Again, a reason I, I became a financial advisor and a very successful financial advisor because I'm kind of swimming in the blue ocean in that I don't have a lot of competition. There are not a lot of advisors out there that are 
real estate people that understand, you know, DSTs and all of that, that are business succession people, income tax planners, estate planners know about trusts and, and can work through that. Uh, we can. And most financial advisors are prohibited from doing those. So your CPA, RIA, I mean, they're talking about tax mitigation here, but is it, does it involve much more than just tax mitigation? What are some of the aspects of a retirement plan that can be benefited from someone being a CPA and an RIAA? Yeah, a lot of it, uh, it revolves around even product placement. So you might have an insurance person and you went to a, a dinner seminar and you went to their office and they convinced you to buy a fixed index annuity. Well, do they know anything about premium financed fixed index universal life? Do they know anything about putting them in irrevocable life insurance trusts and, and the gifting rules and chargebacks to the estate using applicable federal rate, et cetera, et cetera? Uh, no, they probably do not. These strategies are out there that are extremely effective. They've never heard of a Delaware statutory trust. So you have rental houses and, and your stockbroker says, you need to sell those rental houses, put it in the market. You know, well, I like owning real estate as a diversified asset. Oh, no, you need to get out of that and put it in the stock market. And I think, well, you, what are you going to put in? Stocks and bonds. You want me to sell my, my real estate to buy bonds? Yeah. Why? Well, because that's how I get paid. Oops, did I say that out loud? <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, the stock worker is going to say sell. The annuity salesperson is going to say sell. You need security. You need cash flow. I, I feel pretty secure with my rentals. They're doing pretty well in cash flow. What are you talking about? You know, so... This integration needs to happen. So that that's one example. Another one might be just Roth conversions, converting from your IRA into a Roth so that all of the future gains are income tax-free and knowing when to do that. You know, whenever I see a tax return and they have a net operating loss or a retirement and they don't have any hardly any income, first thing on my mind is, oh, Roth conversion. We had 0 and 12% brackets just waiting for us to use up to convert IRA money into permanent tax-free gains for the rest of our lives. Why aren't I doing that? And most stockbrokers, insurance agents just aren't going to pick up on that. They're not going to ask for your tax return because then it puts them in an awkward position. Okay, here's my tax return. Analyze it for me. Well, I really can't. I'm not allowed to. So getting that CPA working with their RAAs can be extremely effective. And so often it's overlooked because, you know, often the, the solutions aren't income producing. You know, it might be charitable gifting strategies, Roth conversions, like I say, trust discussions. None of those put any more money into the financial advisor's pocket, but they're really good to review. So it sounds like not having a CPA and RIAA working together really can make a significant difference in terms of your overall wealth moving forward. Well, not only that, but now we haven't even started to talk about the estate planning aspects of all of this. How do you get out of paying the, the state that you're in, state of Washington, estate tax? How do you get out of the federal tax? What are the gifting rules? What are charitable gifting rules or legacy gifting rules? Am I gifting basis? Which assets should I gift? Because certain assets have a low cost basis. You don't want to gift those because you'll lose a step up. So you have that. Trust discussions. How do I have legacy assets actually last for generations? Well, you have to set up certain kinds of trusts in your will or living trust. And so these discussions have to take place for proper legacy planning. You work your whole life. You were very successful. You wanted to leave a legacy. And because your financial advisor insurance person weren't estate and income tax planners, you have a lousy plan when you die and it doesn't happen. That's a shame. So I think people listening would agree that there's no negative to getting your CPA and RIA that understand each other's businesses working together 
together to get the best solution for you and your legacy. Brian, you said that there is no negative to those people getting together and still there are people listening to this and saying, well, you know, I've got a CPA. I love my CPA. They're very good CPA. I love my financial advisor. I think that they're very good at what they do. Is there any negative then? I know you said there wasn't, but is there any negative that you can think of to having these two people communicate with each other or having them as the same person? I won't say there's a negative to having them communicate. I will say the negative is that you probably don't have this. You probably don't have these people working together, and you can't find them. (laughs) It's hard to find people that understand both aspects. So, for instance, I have a lot of people come, and they go, well, you own a CPA firm, but I really like my CPA. Can I keep them? I say, absolutely. I I work well with CPAs. We all do. We speak CPA. We understand understand all about that. I want you to keep your CPA if you like your CPA. I, I don't want you to switch. But we work well with your CPA because we understand what they're doing. We can have them run the projections and so forth. We give the questions. We say, okay, how much of the 12% bracket is available if we do a Roth conversion based on this year's tax estimate? Great. The CPA can go to town on that and tell us the amount. We'll do the conversion and save that person a lot of money over the rest of their life. We do that very well. So, yeah, it's not a negative to getting it done. The negative is that you probably can't access that given your current mix of your CPA and your investment advisor, it's probably a little oil and and water there. So, Brian, if I'm hearing you correctly, if someone listening to this program has a CPA, they've had them for 30 years, they love their CPA, they don't want to give them up, but they want you to manage their money, that indeed, and Madrona Financial can work with an outside CPA. Not only can we, we do that extremely effectively, and a lot of CPAs really like working with us because they learn about stuff they didn't know about that they can share with other clients. And I want to assure you, if you are a CPA listening to this and you have been reticent to refer somebody to Madrona Financial because we're competition, because we also own a CPA firm, trust me, the last thing I'm going to do is get uh, you you refer your client and I'm going to say, hey, I want your CPA business. No, that's the last thing I'm going to do because that'd be dumb, first off, because you referred us in the first place. Why would I do such a thing? And secondly, I like another set of eyes on this. And and like I said, we work really well with them. So if you're a CPA and you want a place for your clients to go that you can trust that they're getting the right answers, they're taking into account the the taxation of it, and they're encouraging uh, the advisors, encourage them to stay with you as their CPA, then we're we're your folks for that. So if you're a CPA listening to this program, we highly encourage you to call Madrona Financial Services with your questions. Again, there's no cost. There's no obligation to do that. You just might learn something. And if you are a client who has a separate CPA and a separate financial firm and you want to keep your CPA, certainly give Madrona Financial Services a call as well, too, because, again, there's no competition here. We're all in this to work together. But I think the ultimate solution would be to have your CPA and your registered investment advisor be in the same firm or the same person, but we can work with it either way. If you're listening to this program, Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans, and you're interested in a financial plan, you have at least $500,000 or more to invest. You're looking to hire a new financial advisor. You can get your complimentary, no cost, no obligation financial plan by calling 844 Madrona. 844 M A D R O N A. You can also request it online at madronafinancial.com. Time for a break, Brian. We'll be right back with more of Growing Your Wealth after this. You can't build a house with just one tool, and you can't plan for retirement without an integrated, comprehensive strategy. If you want to get more information on the Madrona Bundle of Services, call Madrona Financial Services at 844-MADRONA or go to madronafinancial.com. Now, back to more of Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. 
Welcome back to the show. I'm Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs. And in this segment, we're going to be talking about income distribution strategies and level loading your tax brackets. And Brian, a lot of people say their goal is to not pay taxes. And I'm sure you've had many people come to you in your practice over the years and say, Brian, how can I get out of paying taxes? What's your response to that? Uh, you can't if you're successful. You're going to pay taxes. And it's interesting. There's so much misconception about taxes. I've been reading recently and even watching interviews where they're uh, interviewing people and college people, for instance, and they say, well, you know, the rich don't pay tax. Like, it's a fact. Like, everybody knows the rich don't pay any tax. They ought to pay their fair share. Which is, what's fair share? Well, at least 15%. I'm thinking, well, they pay 40%. Or yeah. if they're in California, Hawaii, they pay over 50%. What are you talking about? They don't have any idea. There's statistics that show that the top 0.1% of people pay over 20% of all the income tax collected, 0.1%. Yeah. The top 1% pay more than 40% of all taxes. And the top 10% of earners in America pay over 70% of income taxes. So don't tell me the rich don't pay tax. You're going to pay tax. But the trick is, what rate are you going to pay at? How are you going to pay that tax? And so that's where we can do some planning. But if anybody's listening and keeps sharing that lie, essentially, that the rich don't pay tax, yes, some don't. And and so some of the examples, for instance, Warren Buffett doesn't pay a lot of income tax. That's because he hasn't sold his stock. You have to choose to sell your stock. Uh, just because, let's say that you own a house and a 401k plan, and they both went up 200000 last year. Do you want the IRS to send you a bill for a tax on 400000 of gains? Well, no, you didn't sell them. Why, why should you be taxed? Well, it's the same thing for Warren Buffett. Or I've heard Amazon doesn't pay any tax. Well, that's because they had net operating loss carry forwards from the 20 years where they lost money. Mm-hmm. So let's say that you made $20,000 one month and lost 20000 the next and you're net zero. Do you want the IRS to send you a bill for the twenty grand and not give you credit for the twenty you lost? Of course not. They meld together and you have a net gain of zero. So that's all that's going on there. It's just a timing thing. And so there's just so much misconception about taxes and so forth, but we want to talk in this section about distribution strategies. You know, when you talk about Warren Buffett, he has all of this worth on paper. Those are called unrealized gains. And right now, unrealized gains are not taxable, but I understand that that may not be always the case in the future. Yeah, certainly if the step up in basis is done away with, that's going to go away. We'll never have generational transfer like we do now. Uh, it'll be governmental transfer, which is akin to socialism, but that's a whole other topic for another day. But another place where there's unrealized gains is in your uh, IRA accounts. Typically, you have no cost basis in them. They will be taxed, and there's no way out of that one. Either you're going to pay it or your heirs are going to pay it. Somebody's going to pay the tax on your undistributed no basis IRA funds, 401k funds, those kinds of things. So that's another area where what bracket are you going to get taxed at? So if you're in a high income year, you don't want to take a huge IRA distribution and pay, you know, 40, 50 percent if you have state taxes. You want to maybe take it out in a low year. Or if you're thinking about leaving assets to your kids and maybe they don't, they're not in as high a bracket as you, leave them IRA funds to distribute over a five-year period. Don't leave him uh, other money. You know, so there's, there's various strategies related to that. But all your assets have different tax rules. And we talked earlier about principal residence gains. You know, the, you can get out of 500000 there. Uh, rental houses, you can sell and do a 1031 exchange. Step up in basis, level loading tax brackets so you don't have to pay too much in one year and too little in the next. So there's all kinds of strategies related to income distribution. 
So level loading tax brackets means simply that what you're doing is if you have the ability of taking income from a one year where you might be highly taxed and putting it into another year, that you can sort of level out your tax obligation. Yeah, if I'm going to make a million dollars over the next 10 years, I'd like to put it on my tax return, 100 grand a year each year. Right. Because as a married person, I'll never get out of, above the 0 or 12% bracket. Whereas if I took a million in one year and had nothing the other nine years, I'm in the highest bracket for most of the money there. So that's that's a real basic example. And there are things we can do to time that. Now, there's different sources of income and some things you can't do anything about. So, for instance, your earnings from your business or your salary, wages, whatever, you earn them in the year you earn them. That's, that's just it. And there's no way out of it. You're not going to be able to say, well, I earned 300000 this year. I'm going to elect on my tax return to take that over three years and income average that. Well, that went away with the Tax Reform Act in 1986. Uh, you to do income averaging. You can't do that anymore. If you earn the money, you're going to pay the tax at whatever the rate is. You, it's a secondary place where we're talking about. The secondary being after you've earned the money and paid your tax, now what do you do? You invest it. You can put it into uh, rental houses. You can put it and take depreciation and so forth. You can invest it into a principal residence. You can invest in the stock market and have unrealized gains for time period. There are lots of things you can do. You can buy fixed index universal life and create tax-free income or whatever. There's a lot of things you can do after you've earned the money, paid the tax. But earning and paying tax, that's going to happen. It's that secondary phase that we're talking about here. So, Brian, why would someone not want to level load taxes? Is there any reason you can think of as to why they wouldn't want to do this? Uh, saving on taxes? Um, no. I have not <laughs> met that person yet who's coming to my office and said, Brian, I don't pay enough income tax. I want to pay Can more. Can you figure out a way for me to pay more income tax on my tax return than I've ever paid before? In fact, I think the tax brackets are too low. Even Bernie Sanders does not go to his CPA, no. and he'll tell everybody, we should be paying at the 70% bracket if you make more than a million dollars. Well, Bernie, you make more than a million dollars. How about you volunteer 70%? What? No, <laughs> he won't do it. So not even Bernie will pay more than he has to pay. So why are not more people doing this? Is it just the fact that most uh, CPAs don't know about doing this? Of course, CPAs are looking backwards. Yeah, the, it's the integration of your financial advisor and your CPA. It doesn't happen very often. And so you need both, and you need them talking about that. Uh, too many financial advisors insurance people are, are really focused on product sales. That's what their job is, is product sales. They get rewarded for selling product. They don't get rewarded for good tax planning, save you tax. That puts zero money into their pocket. Most CPAs are not familiar with product and, and what it can be used for, uh, fixed index, universal life, premium finance or in an island or what, you know, they don't know this stuff and they don't work with that. They work with last year's tax return. So we have a disconnect in the industry where the most important valuable advice is not being given because there's no integration between financial advisors and CPAs on these very important topics. Brian, in your uh, practice here at Madrona Financial, and of course, being a CPA, you were a CPA. You still are a CPA, but you've got a lot of experience in this area. Have you found that a lot of people have not realized the tax savings that they could have? In other words, they have paid more tax than they had to. Only about 100%, I'd say. <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> Pretty close to that. Uh, yeah, I, you know, there's always opportunities out there. And so that's uh, why I'll always have a job and the people at Madrona will always have a job because people recognize that and they want both. And that's why they come here. 
so yeah, I'd say it's always the case that there are opportunities if you have somebody look at your tax year. And that's why we're doing this segment here. It's like, have somebody look at their texture and that understands financial investing. Obviously, I'm biased. I, people at Madrona Financial can do this and do it well. But uh, definitely get it done because there's always opportunities to improve your tax situation relative to your investment strategy. And once again, that's why it's so important to have your CPA and your registered investment advisor working together if they are not the same person. If you're listening to this program, you're interested in this topic of level loading taxes. Again, we invite you to contact the folks here at Madrona Financial and Bauer Evans CPAs for a complimentary no cost, no obligation financial plan. That number to call 844-MADRONA, 844-MADRONA. You can also request your plan online, of course, at madronafinancial.com. Time for a break here on Growing Your Wealth. Brian, we'll be right back with more of our show after this. Do you ever worry if your CPA and financial advisor are on the same page? You won't have to if you call Madrona Financial Services at 844-MADRONA or visit them at madronafinancial.com. Now, back to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. Welcome back to the show. I'm Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs. And this segment, we're going to be talking about Roth conversions. And Brian, I think most people listening to this program have heard about Roth conversions. I certainly have heard about that. But beyond what it is on the surface, and that is the tax benefit, I don't know a great deal more about that. So that's why you're here to fill in a few details. As I've said, uh, Brian, there's no studio audience, there's no band. So let's give the people a little bit here in terms of other details. Earnings from a Roth are permanently income tax-free. However, contributions to a Roth are not tax deductible. Yeah, so let's start with defining what Roth stands for. It stands for regular... No, no, that's not it. It's Congressman Roth (laughs) who uh, sponsored the bill to allow people to put money into a retirement plan and have it grow income tax-free no matter what. When they take it out, they don't pay any tax on it no matter how much it goes up in value. So it was to encourage savings. It was to encourage people to put money away. The limitations were very low, though, so it really didn't help a whole lot. That you know, they started out. I think the, the limit was one or two thousand dollars back when it started, and it's only up to about six or seven thousand. But now there's new ways to put more money into a Roth, and one of those ways is through your 401k plan. So you can elect a much higher amount than the six thousand, seven thousand dollar max, whatever it is. You can elect a much higher amount. You can put all of your 401k contributions, and if you're age 50 or over, you know, that could be, what, $25,000 a year approximately. You could put into a 401k and have that be a Roth contribution and grow those Roth accounts up quite a bit. Or you can do what we're talking about here is a Roth conversion. Okay, so earnings from a Roth, I mean, distributions permanently tax-free. However, you are going to be paying taxes on the money that you put into a Roth. But what about conversions? You just mentioned that from an IRA to a Roth. How are those taxed? Yeah, so they're, they're going to be taxes, ordinary income in the year that you do the conversion. It's very important. We've been talking a lot about the importance of your CPA working with your registered investment advisor. Here's another example. So as a CPA, I'm always, you know, first thing I want to know is what's your taxable income look like? And if they say, well, it's going to be kind of low because my business had a loss this year due to COVID or uh, it's low because we retired last year and we haven't started taking taxable income from our pensions yet. Oh, okay, I got an opportunity here. I might be able to roll up to, say, $100,000 from my regular IRA into a Roth. And I will pay income tax, but if I'm paying it 12% or, or something of that nature, I'm more than happy to pay that bracket knowing that for the rest of my life, the earnings from that can be tax-free. 
Brian, who are the people who can get the most benefit from a Roth conversion? People that believe they'll be paying a higher tax bracket in the future than they are in this taxable year. So like I said, if your tax bracket is low this year, that's a great time to convert. Now, it is going to cost you money to do that. So let's say in this example, I had no taxable income. I'm married and I do a $100,000 conversion. Uh, I'm going to tell you your tax is about twelve grand. And you go, well, okay, well, I'm going to move money from my IRA to a Roth. I'm going to have to write a check for twelve grand out of my checking account to do that. I say, yeah, exactly. Well, I don't want to do that. What's my benefit? Well, let's think about it. Uh, let's say that that $100,000 grows at 7% a year for 10 years. It will double. Let's say it does it again for the next 10 years. And now we're at quadruple. And so your 100000 is now 400000 And so the 300000 gain, the tax rate on that is zero. <laughs> That's a huge savings. And so I like the idea of that, especially in my retirement account, because if I think I'm going to be in the 30% bracket someday and I can save... 300,000 at 30%, that's 90 grand. What'd that cost me? 12 grand way back when. Mm -hmm. I'm like, huh, that's a pretty good deal. And you know, you think about the compounding effect of money. When I started public accounting, the Dow was about 1,500. Now it's about 35,000. I wish I had Congressman Roth had been around back then and passed that law where I could have put money into the stock market in my 20s. And now that I'm in my 50s, it could have grown substantially. I mean, 15, 20 fold. And all that 15, 20 fold would be income tax free had I put it in a Roth. So, Brian, it sounds like there are a lot of benefits to doing a Roth conversion. But can you think of any detriments, any reason why you wouldn't want to do a Roth conversion? Yeah. uh, If you're older and your income's high and you know when you retire, your taxable income is going to be low and you think your tax brackets are going to be lower, then you probably don't want to do it because then you're volunteering tax at a high rate. Let's say you're in the 37 percent bracket. You go, I don't want to pay 37 percent on a Roth conversion. Well, yeah, I don't blame you. Uh, I wouldn't either because now you're you're down to 60-something cents on the dollar, and, and it's going to take a long time for that to grow back to where you started. And so it may not be a good idea. So we're, we're talking about tax brackets here, and, and there's planning around that. There are absolutely times you don't want to do a Roth conversion. There's absolutely times when you do. And as far as contributions to a Roth 401k plan, generally that's a good idea if you're working and you plan on living a while and, and having that money invested to take advantage of that. However, again, you may want the money now. You may want the tax deduction now and not do a Roth, but put it into a regular 401k and take the deduction at whatever your marginal tax bracket is today. So, Brian, we know the benefits of a Roth conversion. What are some of the other ways that we can get tax-free income? Yeah, everybody loves tax-free. So I'm glad you asked that so we can talk a little bit about that. So sale of a principal residence up to 250000 if you're single or 500000 if you're married. That gain is tax-free. So if you have a gain on, on principal residence, you have lived in it in two of the past five years, tax-free gain. So that's awesome. That's something they, they have not talked about taking away, and you can always have that. Again, uh, gains in your Roth accounts are tax-free. You'll never pay tax on those gains. Those are great. Another place where gains are tax-free are when you buy life insurance as an asset class. Now, most life insurance sold is not an asset. It's term insurance. Term life insurance is where you say, I'm going to pay you X amount for 20-year term, and at the end of 20 years, the insurance goes away. But if I die during that 20 years, my heirs get money. That is purely a life insurance policy. It's not an asset. 
A lot of, though, uh, life insurance policies are sold for a different purpose. They do have a term policy associated with them, but they're an investment vehicle. And the investment vehicle is designed to provide either tax-free death benefit proceeds to your heirs, or it can be designed to provide tax-free cash flow during your lifetime. So that's where we use fixed index universal life and premium finance policies to provide tax-free cash flow during your lifetime because you'll be borrowing against your future death proceeds and the future death proceeds are income tax-free. So life insurance can produce tax-free income. Roths can produce tax-free income. Gain on the sale of your principal residence can produce tax-free income. So with life insurance, the premiums are non-deductible, the growth is tax-deferred, and the distributions are non-taxable to beneficiaries. And as you said, with a fixed-index universal life policy, that's life insurance for the living. I've always thought that because you can borrow against that, and those distributions will be tax-free. And when you're doing a fixed-index universal life policy, are you just paying a little bit more than the premium in order to build up a cash value? Is that the way it works? Yeah, that's kind of it. I mean, certainly term insurance policies are really important if you want to just cover somebody in case of an untimely death. So young family with kids, for instance, they should have a term insurance policy, both the mother and the father, because a lot of times, okay, dad works, we need a policy to replace his income. Well, if mom passed away, dad's got to take care of kids, he's got to hire daycare, and he's got to work, so uh, she needs a policy too. So that's term insurance, and everybody, again, anybody with family should, should have term insurance. Now, permanent life insurance, which we're talking about here, like the fixed index universal life, that involves a much higher premium because it's an investment account, essentially, mm-hmm. using life insurance rules to our advantage on its distribution to create tax-free cash flow. It's more akin to uh, putting money into an IRA, you know, you want or a pension plan or something like that. You want to put a lot of money into that, a lot more than you would into a very inexpensive term life insurance policy. Once again, if you have questions about anything that you've heard on our program today, call 844-MADRONA, 844-M-A-D-R-O-N-A. You can also go to the website, madronafinancial.com, and send us your questions from there. Brian, out of time for this week. Thank you for your time. I want to thank our listeners for joining us this weekend. For Brian Evans, I'm Jeff Shade. Get out there and have a great weekend. It is a great part of the country that we live in. We'll talk to you again next week with another edition of Growing Your Wealth. No statements made during the Growing Your Wealth radio show shall constitute tax, legal, or accounting advice. You should consult your own legal or tax professional on your individual information. Brian Evans of Madrona Financial Services is licensed to offer investment advisory services through Madrona Financial Services, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Insurance products are offered through Madrona Insurance Services, LLC, a licensed insurance agency and an affiliate of Madrona Financial Services. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Investors cannot invest directly into indexes. No investment strategy, including asset allocation or diversification guarantees a profit or guarantees the avoidance of loss. Financial planning is an important tool that does not guarantee specific outcomes.